Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Think Human. Uh, my name is Riaz Kanani. I shall be your host today. I am the founder of Radiate B2B. Um, and before I bring on the other panelists, um, I want to tell you a couple of words about Radiate and a little bit of housekeeping. Um, and then we will crack on with the show. So uh, a little bit about Radiate. Um, we are basically helping you to figure out who you should talk to and how you should approach them. Um, and then on top of that, we can then um, warm them up before you make contact, um, all with the aim of, of basically maximizing your pipeline. So obviously DM me if you want to find out more, but let's get um, into the session. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I've spent 20 plus years in sales and marketing, too long now, um, basically helping teams scale internationally um, from marketing services, um, whether that's with big brands um, or smaller brands. Um, I've been lucky to have a few exits along the way, um, but the focus for today um, is on outbound. Um, some quick housekeeping, um, you will see, we do see all the comments um, that you make, so please do comment. Um, it is incredibly lonely when you are on the other side of the camera and um, in a virtual environment. So um, it'd be great to see your reactions as well. Um, we will take questions as we go, um, and if we've missed any, we will, we will pull back to them at the end. Um, we will be sharing a survey. Um, throughout the session, so do complete that. Um, for every completion, we'll be making a donation to um, Breakfast for Kids. Um, it's a registered charity called Magic Breakfast. Um, it should take no more than 60 seconds. And, and basically what the charity does is it makes sure that kids going to school are not going to school hungry and obviously reducing their concentration levels. So do um, fill that out when you see the link. Um, we'll be sharing it in the comments. Okay, so without further ado, let me bring on the speakers. So we have Alex, Adam, and Nadja here with us. Um, why don't we um, go round the room? So maybe start with yourself, Nadja. You're first on my list here. So introduce yourself, and then um, um, we'll go from there. As you mentioned, like my name is Nadia. I'm a head of business development at Lemlist, a bootstraps company that went. Uh, from zero to $10 million in annual recurring revenue in less than four years. Uh, bootstrap meaning we didn't receive any funding. We actually refused funding uh, last year. And uh, I'm working as a head of business development, uh, running our outbound team remotely. So excited to talk about outbound uh, with you all today. Alex, do you want to go next? Well, yep. Hi, I'm Alex Abbott, founder of Sapiran. Uh, we're a sales consulting firm. Uh, I've spent uh, about 30 years in sales, originally started knocking doors, door to door, um, but um, fell into B2B sales in 2000 and spent sort of seven years learning the trade before becoming quite successful as a sales rep. Um, then the last 10 years has been really as a sales leader, working very closely with SDR teams and also marketing. Um, you know, focusing on pipeline generation. Uh, and I think, um, you know, the biggest thing for me this year is is how things have changed. And as Supero, we're starting to focus on uh, social selling and influence uh, as a kind of relationship first approach to pipeline generation. Great. Thank you, Alex. Adam? Hi, everybody. I'm Adam Gray. I'm co-founder of DLA Ignite, and we are a social media consulting firm. And we help organizations use social media to generate conversations with their prospects, their customers, their future hires uh, as, as a glue to hold the organization together. Because uh, our view is that everybody in the world that we want to talk to is on social. So that's the place to go to have those conversations with people. And that's the big Big change, isn't it? I mean, that's that's sort of where I wanted to kick things off. Was this was this changing world we're living in, especially from a, a sales standpoint? I think. Um, what what? Let's start with you, Adam. What what, what is your take on on the current environment um, today for sales, and, and what's changed? I think it's really interesting because there's a there, there's such a paradox which is going on. Uh, you know, once upon a time. Uh, you would have met people face to face, you would have gone to business networking groups, you would have grown your business by pressing palms with people and going and having coffee with people. And then along came digital. 
and it taught businesses that we don't need to do any of that. What we can do is we can create personas and, and we can, can force people into pigeonholes and then we can market at those people and we can treat them as a, a natural resource that can be harvested. And, uh, and I think what we've seen as people have migrated into social as being their primary place to go and have conversations and build relationships and, and discover about brands, whether that's brands they want to work for or brands they want to buy, uh, businesses have been very slow to react and recognizing that that's actually a really good metaphor for the way things used to be before digital came along. And I think that the, the digital lessons that businesses have learned have often been very poor lessons. You know, it's about recognizing that I don't, I don't know you, Riaz. What I do know is that you fit this particular profile and therefore I'm going to talk to you in this particular way. And I think that as, as the consumer, particularly in the B2B space, has become more sophisticated and more educated, um, they see that. You know, they see that I'm I'm being farmed, not being spoken to, and consequently, they uh, they don't respond as well to that as they have done previously. And that's why lots of the organisations that we talk to find that their campaigns are not yielding the results that they might have done last year or the year before. I mean, particularly since COVID, but even in the run up to COVID, you know, they were seeing the response rates falling year on year, and unfortunately. Uh, there are lots of uh, uh, marketing automation thought leadership platforms in the world that tell you that more emails are being sent, therefore it's a growing market. And our view is that more emails are being uh, sent, therefore it's a failing market because the response is the same. But if you have to send twice as many things to get the response, then it's half as effective. And I know that my behavior and the behavior of everybody that I address this with is... Well, when I get a cold email from you, I don't know who you are. You tell me that you're great. Why would I believe that? Because there's no context for that comment. So actually you're, you're in the spam box now. So addressing that yeah. is a big issue for many businesses, I think. No, I'll jump to you because I, I know this is why Lemlist really started, right? Uh, it, 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 it was to combat this, this change. And, exactly. and, and, so our founder was actually an agency owner and obviously like as an agency owner, he was doing outbound for on behalf of his clients uh, back in the day. And obviously we saw what Adam was mentioning right now that uh, with lack of personalization and sending out difficult cold emails, you're not getting responses. The response rates are dropping tremendously. Uh, so there was this need for uh, for us to build something that is going to help us actually personalize and make sure that the platform that we're leveraging for outbound <clears throat> Uh, is actually built in a way that you can actually focus on building relationships rather than spamming people, as Adam said. Uh, so we like started building out a lot of uh, personalization features, trying to complement like outbound with personalization, making it relevant, and actually focus on building relationships. Uh, however, as we were starting doing also outbound ourselves at Lamlist, um, we started building out our personal brands. And this is, I think, what uh, made a difference for us. As you mentioned, like right now, it's not just enough to send out cold emails. You need to be kind of a people, relate to people, and they're going to respond to you if you're reaching out to them in a humane way. So just sticking to one challenge, such channel such as cold emails, I don't think is uh, enough today. Uh, and being present on LinkedIn, building your <clears throat> and then complementing it with cold emailing is what will work. So I kind of agree with Adam, but I also disagree in a way that the cold emailing uh, cold emails are dying and that this is like a dying market. I do believe that this is a rising market uh, as long as you leverage it in a proper way and you actually adapt to the uh, buyers and their journey. That makes sense. That makes sense. One of the, one of the stats that um, I saw was about how much time buyers are spending with vendors today. I think it was 17% across all vendors and so not just one vendor when they're, when they're looking to buy. Alex, I know we talked a bit around that um, previously. Do you have more to say on it? Yeah, well, it, it's, um, I think I have to say I agree with Adam more than Nadia. It's, um, it's becoming, as, <laughs> as we've said, it's, it's so difficult to, um, to get a response, it's it's just as difficult to build that relationship because buyers have become aware that sellers, in some cases, are just trying to build a relationship because they want to sell to them. And so that's becoming 
much much harder to do and yeah. of course as we're you know spending most of our time now on digital it, it in some cases it feels impossible yeah completely um i mean i it's a balance right i think at the end of the day it, it's going where your where your buyers are and, and finding a way to to connect um yeah i think i think one of the one of the stats that sort of relates to that was was how many I, i'm not sure how what i think of this i'll be interested to get your opinions on this um there's been several surveys by forrester gartner and the like right around b2b buyers and their their current hatred for sales reps right so i think it's 43 percent on average don't want to talk to a sales rep at all if you look at the younger um, demographics and millennials, General Z, it goes above 50%. I think it's like 56, 58%. Um, what's your take? Is sales a dying art? Is it going to disappear? What's going to happen? Well, I think, it, I think it's, part, it's partly because um, the buyers don't want to talk to the sellers because they've been sold to. And therefore, they kind of retreat into this zone of resistance. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they, they, you know, partly want to have a conversation to learn, but because they're being sold at, it's, you know, it's not, it's not a fun experience for them. Yeah. So, you know, that that's, I think that's why you would, when you look at Forrester and Gartner, they talk about the purchase process being almost, almost entirely concluded by the time they invite the supplier. In, into the mix um, and, and there's so much information available to them now they, they often know more than the seller yeah having yeah. done their research online yeah it's a complete inversion isn't it no did you have a perspective yeah, I would say that uh, I don't think the sales reps or like sales in general is going to die out. I think just the the role itself is going to change and shift into what buyers need into more like being consultants rather than sellers. Uh, I do believe and I see that every day when I'm talking to our clients that there is a, like a huge noise on the market, specifically when they're choosing the tools which they're going to use. They oftentimes do come prepared, but a lot of times they do have questions that cannot be answered by the internet or by the reviews or anything like that. So being in this position, like, is this the tool that can fit my needs and what I'm looking for today is where the salespeople come in and can actually respond whether it is or it's not. And if it's a good salesperson, obviously, if it's not a fit, they're going to point it out instead of like pushing the, the tool towards them just to, to make a sale. Well, and almost before you get there, isn't it? Before you start talking about the solution and the tool, it's it's being able to build that relationship. I think that's what sellers struggle with today. Mm. For sure. Adam, yeah. do you have a, a view? Do I have a view? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really interesting. So um, I think that every organisation wants to find a shortcut. You know, what they're looking for is the shortest route between going out into the marketplace and finding somebody that will spend money with them. And human nature is generally one of doing the least work that we can possibly do to get the result that we want to get. And I think that every time that I think back to organisations that, that are trying to do this, they use all of the platitudes about wanting to build a relationship, having a consultative sell, putting the customer first, being customer centric. And actually, they don't mean any of this stuff. I met Alex at a big um, organization when we both worked there and we used to do things like customer journey mapping. And the reality is that it's never customer journey mapping. It's it's your company sales mapping is what it's about. It's like, when do I need to drip feed this piece of content to you to maximize the chance that you won't fall off this journey from not knowing who I am to being a customer of mine? The challenge for every seller out there is that when you use words like, I'm customer focused, we are market leading, we're extremely good at this, we put our customers first, that's the same words that everyone else is using. And the problem is that, and, and I love Gary V's quote, which is con content is king, but context is God. You can write the best blog in the world, but I'm only gonna know that it's the best blog in the world when I've read it, and I'm not gonna read it because I don't know who you are. So actually it all comes down to getting that relationship in place first. You know, the best way to do that is to go and meet somebody, you know, to get to know them in a social environment and then to build that rapport and that trust with them. But the problem for every organization, big or small, is that that doesn't scale. 
you know, how many breakfasts can you eat each week? You know, it, it literally it's the overhead of time to build the relationship. Yeah. And that's why social is the bit that sits at the front of this. I don't know about your tool or your competitors, but what I do know is about people. I know I like you and I don't like them. And that's the basis on which we can build the relationship. And if we build the relationship and I like you, when you speak, A, I'll listen and B, I'll believe you. And that's that's the key that unlocks it. And I think salespeople are often maligned, but but they are they are on a treadmill. You know, make more calls, send more emails. And the reality is that that salespeople are brilliant and incredibly talented in, invariably at mapping. Here's your problems that you've told me. This is how we can help you solve those problems. Every client needs that. But in order for that to have any belief, there's got to be the trust there that it's not just about, oh, well, I want to listen to what your challenges are. Well, I'm not going to tell you what my challenges are because it's none of your business because I don't know who you are at this stage. And, and you know, often it's putting the cart before the horse and, and salespeople and their organisations need to think, if I were buying, what would what would an ideal process look like for me? And start with that. Yeah. Yeah. Easy to say, as you say. Um, Absolutely. Difficult to actually do. Um, so does that make automation impossible well for for cold outreach yeah because you turn even good content into spam if you're not careful i think that that process in quotes is crucial yeah a process for prospecting and a process for building relationships over over time with those prospects is where the the opportunity to do something which I, I don't like automation at its, you know, but the idea of triggering you to do to take actions at various points, I think is really important because anybody that's tried prospecting at scale gets to the point where they go, oh, God, I should have found that guy last week and didn't. And actually, you need something to keep you on the process of, of picking those. <clears throat> I said I was going to phone you at X and I will. Um, but I do think that, that the whole idea of cold, you know, co- I just thought of this cold is old, you know, it's like the number of times that we as a business have sat with a sales director and the sales director has said, I see the future as being cold calling. I'm going to drive my salespeople to make more cold calls. Their phone rings and they go, I don't know who that is. I'll send them to voicemail. And we go, don't you get the irony that you don't take cold calls, but you expect your prospects to take cold calls. And, People don't. There's a there's a definite a definition thing in here. I think around cold. Um, um, in, in that, I guess there's different levels of cold, isn't there? Really, because because until you actually form a proper relationship with somebody, it, it's, it's, it's all cold. cold. Yeah. Um, Nadia, I saw um, a post from you um, <sighs> a couple of weeks ago about automating your LinkedIn mm. and how um, you're achieving that in a way that works um Mm. i'd love to hear more about that for sure so i 100 agree with uh, with adam here uh in terms of the the perspective itself that he uh, he just pointed out i would say that uh, that doesn't mean that you can't automate Uh, i would say that like uh, automation tools currently uh if they're not working or automation doesn't work or it sounds spammy it's not about the tools it's about people who are using it and how they're using it uh, I would say that it's possible to automate. Definitely for us, we're full cycle sales, meaning that we really need to be really, really considerate about our time and automate every every manual possible step that we can and actually focus on personalization, on building relationships and on the things that drive uh, uh, revenue at the end of the day and move the needle. So for us, we do automate our uh, outbound efforts. However, we make sure that every step is personalized. So as Adam said, like we're just using it in a way that we can track our process, make sure that we're on time and that we are delivering each step when we actually intended to do it instead of forgetting to do it in the in the back end and having a clear picture of how everything performs and how everything is going to look like at the end of the day for the buyer. So like we think about the buying journey that we want them to have or like they would typically have with us and we just transcribe it into the sequence that we can personalize edit every single step use like manual obviously reminders to for us to re like to re-edit something if it's if it's needed um and we just use it kind of to kick it off from one platform instead of like being spread out across 
so many channels and like obviously forgetting to follow up uh, after after a certain point. I think that's the the biggest uh, issue that we are seeing. I think there are there are other issues. I mean, one of the challenges with uh, with automating on LinkedIn is that there are very few tools that fall within LinkedIn's terms and conditions. And the challenge here is that whether or not you've got a thousand connections or ten thousand connections, the reality is that you spent time building that network and the credibility with that network. And LinkedIn now take a very dim view and switch off people's profiles. Normally you get a warning, they switch you off for a week, but mm. some people get instantly deleted. And that's a really bad place to be because you're effectively starting with nothing and starting again from, from scratch. Um, so I think that, 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 that one needs to be really mindful about how, uh, how we do that. And I think the other thing is, and I think that LinkedIn, in fact, any social network is a really perfect metaphor for the idea of reciprocity. You know, the only reason that I'm going to go onto any social network in order that you can have a go at selling to me is because I want the opportunity to sell to you. And the problem is that if I say, I'm not going to go onto this network, I'm going to get somebody else to go onto this network and pretend to be me, whether that's because I've out, out, uh, out, outsourced this to an agency, whether or not I've used a, an AI bot to do this. The problem is that I'm not there to be sold to. And if I'm not there to be sold to, there's no incentive for my buyer to be there because business only works because I buy as well as sell. And the problem is that, and, and uh, Seth Godin used to say this, uh, the problem with marketers is they break everything. You know, they find out the way that something works, like email. Oh, it's a great tool. You've got no post cost. It means we can send out a thousand times as many emails to people. And, and they break everything. You know, if you've got 10 emails a day, Spam wouldn't be a problem, but you don't. You get a thousand emails a day. That's the problem. And the problem yeah. with all of the information thing is that actually this is not about sending out a thousand requests to people. It's about identifying who you really think you can help, mm. sending out requests to them and saying, uh, Riaz, I'm incredibly jealous of your hair because I wish I had some hair. <laughs> and that makes you laugh. And then I say, incidentally, I noticed that you do this. And then we're having a conversation and there's an, a, a, an element of humanity in that. And then we develop that into a conversation and maybe we can work together, maybe we can't. But actually somebody said about uh, LinkedIn is, is the way to do this, uh, but it takes time. It does take time, but equally so does phoning a thousand people or sending out a thousand emails. It all takes time. Mm -hmm. And anyone that thinks, you know, they're going to land a big deal from their first phone call or the first pitch or the first whatever is deluded. Yeah, yeah, it takes time yeah. to build a relationship. No, you said you said a, a line on one of your posts that I think really sums it up quite well, which is automation is your worst enemy and can be your best friend. Um, and you, you you talked, I think, in, in somewhere um, about buckets um, um, as an approach to um, to automation. Can you do you want to expand a little bit on it? For sure, for sure. I would say like what uh, what Adam said right now, like about automation, like uh, the I think the the problem with automation in general is that people think of it when they hear the word automation, they immediately connect it with it's like scaling things. Automation is not to scale your efforts and like just do the things that you're doing for ten people to one thousand people. It's just to make your process easier. And once you have this moment of like thinking, okay, I'm gonna use automation to scale then you're going in the wrong direction. So I do think that uh, at the end of the day, it's always going to be targeted, personalized, and everything that you're going to be doing, except that you're just going to have a clear vision into how it's working. Make sure you don't have like any fallbacks or like any missed, uh, miscommunication happening. Uh, when it comes to the buckets, uh, when it, uh, the reason that we mentioned it in the, in the beginning is how we're currently using those buckets uh, to actually personalize and uh, make our process more efficient. Uh, what it, that means is that we are, before we even start targeting people, we split them into a like couple of buckets, depending on what stage they're in currently. If, for example, they're currently hiring or depending on their challenges. So like if they're hiring, they would say have a specific challenges. If they had uh, just a newly appointed VP of sales, obviously a different set of challenges that uh, they are going to be presented with. So depending on those buckets, that's how we're going to address those people and approach them. And it just makes it easier in our mind to kind of split the account list into those buckets and approach them with a similar uh, approach or topics, et cetera. 
Um, and for me, that is specifically important because obviously when I'm hiring new SDRs, I cannot immediately like put this mindset into their brains. So I need to kind of help them out, actually reach out to prospects in a proper way uh, and personalize. So like having these clear guidelines of what are the common pains, how to approach them, what are the personalization that you can use, what is repetitive within those buckets, uh, really helps helps out a lot. Mm-hmm. Alex? Yeah. Well, I yeah. think the segmentation is is very helpful. Um, you know, it's it, it can be dangerous for a sales rep or an SDR to feel like they can scale their own approach um, by using automation. But I also think depending on the size of the company, um, they may they may not have a marketing team even, let alone a large marketing team. So, you know, the the salesperson, the SDR, the individual, you know, can only do so much. They take that manual personal approach so far because there's only so many in the day. So I, I do think that segmentation to say, well, here are my focus accounts. This is my, you know, relationship first strategy that I'm going to take with them. Here are the rest of the accounts. I don't have the time to do the same with those. So I'm going to do something that's automated, um, uh, you know, uh, something that will try and stimulate some sort of response or, um, you know, worst case, at least keep keep me top of mind. In some ways, that's a good um, segue to the next topic that I at least promised in the intro um, I was going to talk about. Um, so we should cover it off, which is the dark, the rise of the dark funnel. Uh, the dark funnel has always always been there. Um, it's just become a a topic of conversation in the last sort of six twelve months. Um, and um, for those that don't know, the dark funnel is basically all the actions that your buyer takes that you as a sales rep or as a marketer don't directly see as a result of your your emails, phone calls, um, marketing campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. So, so when somebody says something to someone else, you obviously can't track that. Um, likewise, you know, when we put a post out on LinkedIn and someone, someone mentions it in an email, we don't see that happening, right? Um, and, and in some ways, this is where where we play a part as, as radiate right in terms of using intent data to to try and um, aggregate company behavior to to show uh, which companies are, are researching a particular topic um alex do you have a take on this and the impact on on outbound does it have an impact does it change anything what, what's your take yeah i think the the biggest challenge we have as a, as a company working with our clients is is knowing where to focus. So, you know, we'll, we'll do some work around understanding the ideal customer profile, what the target market might be. We'll maybe do some segmentation based on the data points that we have at the time. And then we'll just we'll get going and we'll learn and optimize. But I think. Um, you know, you touch on intent data, what, what's incredibly valuable about that is it kind of helps you understand where to focus, where to spend some of your time when you may not know. And I think there's huge cost savings for organizations that, that do that because it's, you know, it's very easy, um, you know, to run expensive campaigns that don't, you know, achieve the results that you might expect. It's it's very easy for, for sales resources, and we know they're getting more and more expensive. Salaries are going up. It's very easy for salespeople to spend time researching the wrong companies that just aren't, you know, aren't in market or won't be anytime soon. So, yeah, I you know, I have to admit, I, you know, 22 years in B2B sales and, and the conversation you and I had was the first time I heard about the dark funnel. So uh, having, uh, having uh, done a bit of research now, it's, it's obvious what it is. Um, and yeah, I think it's key to we, we, we like to put a name on things, marketers. Right? <laughs> Nadia, do you have a perspective on, on, on it? I would say that uh, specifically right now, like for the last few years, we're seeing like, especially on LinkedIn, uh, SDRs becoming more active, building out their personal brands, creating uh, tons of posts, obviously for end goal being to build relationships, but also like to generate inbound leads for themselves. 
Uh, I do think this is the uh, in sales specifically one of the biggest uh, parts of the dark funnel that we are seeing, especially with my team, because we know that we are generating revenue. However, how can we prove it? How can we show it? How can we actually track what is happening on the back end? So luckily for us, we have a CEO that is firm believer in the power of personal brand and, be, and being active there. However, I'm seeing with other organizations and companies that I'm working with that um, this is a problem simply because then you cannot prove it to your managers that uh, this is being effective and should you actually invest time into this? So like not being able to actually have any metrics around this becomes a problem to kind of make any strategic decisions when it comes to the companies. Um, however, I would say that this there is no solution to the dark funnel. I think this is just something where we will have to kind of monitor, track, and like be aware of constantly like rising trends and challenges and be actually up to date with them and implement them within the organizations, even though you're not sure how they're going to be uh, tracked or measured at the end of the day. Yeah. When you, you, you mentioned personal brand there, I think, you know, and there's this term we've used before around asynchronous selling, you know, if, mm-hmm. if we as individuals are creating content uh, that is being consumed by prospects that would otherwise be in the dark funnel, you know, invisible to us, we're increasing our chances of them coming out of the darkness and coming into the light. Yeah, yeah. Adam, do you have a take on? I know you'll definitely have a take on personal branding. But before, <laughs> before we get to personal branding, um, the dark funnel, dark social. Yeah. So, so the the problem with, um, you know, yeah, uh, we've all got a dark funnel. Mine, mine's a plastic thing that I use for filling up the lawnmower with petrol. But <laughs> you know, the, the the problem with with dark funnel, dark social, is that it relies entirely on hope. And hope is not a good strategy in business. So, you know, it's like when people say what what we've done is we've created this campaign and that will drive people to the website. And then there's a strong call to action and they'll phone us up. That's like I posted something and then you comment on it and you send me a DM that says I'd like to buy that from you. Actually, that doesn't happen. Well, it does happen. And we remember the instances when it does happen because it happens so rarely. And the problem with it is that you've outsourced all responsibility for your sales to the prospect and the prospect does not know enough about what you do to know whether you're good bad or indifferent at it because if they did they would never buy from you they'd do it themselves so fundamentally relying on inbound in any of its forms and hoping something will generate inbound is is spray and pray it's it's a suicidal process to to buy into uh now, when it happens, it's very nice, but that's a bluebird. That's not something that's been within your control. Uh, you can measure it, although most people do not set up their CRMs to measure and track this sort of thing. Um, but what you can do is you can think about how how do I maximize the chance of being in control of the sales process? So what I want to do is I want to get the quickest route to get you on a call. Because during a call, I can control the outcome of that. Now, the outcome may be that you qualify out. That's fine. It means I don't need to spend any more time investing that effort in you because you're not going to buy from me. Or it may be that you are going to buy, but you're not going to buy for three years. Again, it's fine. At least I know which bucket, to use your comment, Roger, which bucket I can put you in and how I can deal with that to make sure that I'm there at the right time. But I have to be in control of that to have any opportunity to, to steer the outcome of that. So all we ever say to our prospects is that we are uh, we are selling a process for generating conversations with people. And, you know, the, the challenges that salespeople face are a, getting a conversation with somebody and b trying to get a conversation with somebody that wants to talk to you. You know, you're, you're a perfect target for me. Right company, right place, uh, right person but you don't want to talk to me. Okay, that's a, that's a big problem. And it's a big problem, not because I'm in sales, but because you don't like the fact that I'm bald or got a beard or play the guitar or live in Suffolk or whatever it is, there'll be stuff which will turn you off. So what, what salespeople need to do is they need to think about how they can take control of that prospecting process and maximize the transition from, I've become aware of you, I've started to to try to build some rapport with you 
I'll use the rapport as a basis to build a relationship or friendship or trust. And then I'll use that as the platform for delivering what I want. Now, clearly, personal brand is important. I want everybody in the world to think that I'm the best person in the world at what it is that I do. That's my starting point. And yes. everything that I create needs to A, substantiate that, that thing that I want you to believe, and B, make that accessible to you. Because again, you know, the mistake that so many businesses make is that they say, we're experts in this topic. So I'll talk about that little veneer of brilliance that we have over and above everybody else. And none of the customers can understand any of that because they're mm. not expert enough and not sophisticated enough in that area. <clears throat> yeah. So, so much of this is about saying, okay, the basics of this, this, and this, we do those things. We do more as well, you know, give people an easy entry point. And if, and if you say what we do is, hyper-personalized this, that, and the other. And actually, what do we do? We do email marketing. Okay, that's the starting point. Okay, I know now, I kind of get a grasp of what it is that you do. How's that different from all of these other players in the space? Okay, ours is different because we've got this layer, and then we've got this layer, and take people on that journey. But often, it's like, I saw a sketch many years ago where uh, a library had been designed by an architect, and it's got like big blue books over here and little red books over here because it looked nice. And the problem is that that's all very well if you know where the book is situated. But, you know, you see it when you go to product websites and it says uh, you, you want to buy a pair of training shoes. Do you want super deluxe running shoes or do you want high performance running shoes or do you want Gore-Tex running shoes? Or do you want, I don't know. I want running shoes. And that's the point is that if, if you're if you're framing it by your own knowledge to assume that someone else has the same knowledge is, is foolish. And the personal brand and the fact that, you know, you like me or don't like me is the thing that qualifies you in or out at the very first instance. And that's the basis on which we progress the conversation or don't. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Go on. Yeah, I was looking at, so, you know, listening to you talk about the fact that we're trying to get a conversation um, just sparked a thought. There was a, there was a question I saw come up earlier on. I can't find it again now. It was from Darko um, about um, incentivizing salespeople. Um, how here it is. How would you incentivize salespeople to become less salesy and more consultative? And you know, I was thinking about that when you were talking about getting those conversations. And um, you know, one of the things that I used to do running the a sales team and an SDR team was focus on qualifying the buyer type, right, as more of a higher value um, objective, KPI, let's say rather than just kind of, you know, lag, those lag measures, you know, make as many can and, and, and send as many messages as you can. But I just wanted to throw it out there, ask you what your thoughts were in terms of, you know, what, what would you say are the best things, you know, best measures, if you like, which you can then incentivize salespeople uh, better and to be, be less salesy? Just to put you right on the spot there, Adam. Who, who, oh, me. Okay, right. So, I'm really interested in that one. Yeah, so so I think that the, the challenge is that you are often incentivizing salespeople too too far down the buying journey or the selling journey. So I'm gonna I'm gonna incentivize you on pipeline. Well, that's great. So how are you gonna get to pipeline? Well, you need to do the following things. Well, clearly you don't, because I had a I had a very rare experience happen to me last week when I was on a call with a prospect and he said, we don't have a pipeline problem. We've got more business than we can execute. I've not heard someone say that for over a year. Everyone else says, we've got no pipeline. What are we going to... And actually, you're, you're, you're asking the salespeople. It's like me saying to you, Riaz, uh, so I'm going to I'm going to incentivize you on how many uh, how many symphonies you can write. But actually, that's, that's a completely abstract concept. So, so what we need to do is we need to identify, first of all, what makes people influential in their space and effective in their space. So in social, uh, you need to have a personal brand, which makes you look like you know what you're talking about. So it delivers some credibility. You need to have some humanity in that, like your post of the other day, Nigel. You know, it'll get more traction than any of your business posts because it's you on holiday looking really cool overlooking the Riviera. Who doesn't like that as an image? So, so you know, fundamentally, it's about creating, blending the professionalism and the personality, the, you know, the personal element of this. 
And then it's about taking that out to the places you want to be. So, you know, you've got a thousand connections, you're selling into high tech, you're targeting company X, Microsoft, to pick a company at random. How many people are you connected to in Microsoft? Seven. Okay. It's a company of 200,000 people. You're connected to seven. You've achieved complete invisibility in that company. Any post is not going to be seen by anybody, probably. So the first thing is you need to connect to people in the company or the region or the industry or the vertical that you want to target. And that takes time. You know, you send 100 connection requests a week, if that's the maximum that LinkedIn allows, or 200 or 1,000 or whatever it is, into the places you want to be seen. Because if you double the amount of connections you have, you double the chance of being successful. Then you need to publish stuff which is not seen by these people because that's that's the dark bit. You know, I published something. I used to work at Oracle, got loads of connections in Oracle. I published something, 80 people in Oracle, 100 people, 200 people in Oracle see it. It's a company of 200,000 people. How does that help me? Who can I reach out to? I don't know any of the people, you know, the hundred that have, have seen this. So I want something which is going to stimulate some interaction from these people. So if I post something, you know, I post a picture of me on my balcony overlooking the Riviera and 100 people like it. 50 of them are mates of mine and people I work with. 50 of them are prospects. So I message every one of the prospects saying, thanks for liking my post. Do you fancy having a chat? And of the 50 that I met, five say yes. Okay, well, that's great. So if I do that every single day, I get five calls a day, every single day from doing that process. And you drive salespeople to do those things. You know, so are you A, connected into your accounts that you want to be seen in? Uh, are you growing your connections? Are you growing your, your base of content, both the personal stuff that engages and activates people, and the professional stuff that makes it look like you're worth speaking to on this particular topic. And then are you closing all of those loops? If someone looks at your profile, say hello to them. If somebody likes something of yours, say hello to them. If, if I'm commenting on the same post that you're commenting on, Riaz, say hello to it. For God's sake, LinkedIn's a networking platform. Network with right. people. Yeah, completely. Rather than post something and go, well, now the phone's going to be red hot. You know, everyone's going to be phoning me up because actually... Life does. If it was that easy, we'd all be doing it, but it isn't. You've got to work at this stuff. Well, we're all be spending all our lives on the phone. Uh, which... Yeah, and and you know the challenge is that, that people don't often want to hear that. They don't want to hear that there is no app you can switch on and press go, and all of a sudden the phone will start ringing. If only. Though that would quickly die if that was the case. <laughs> Nadia, I want to bring you in here because obviously you yeah. have um, a team which you were talking about earlier about your CEO, you know, really pushing personal branding. How are you measuring and incentivizing? Um, yeah, I would say that when it comes to the Alex, like the question that you raised, uh, I think the issue comes from uh, potential like leaders and managers like being focused more on the number of conversations that are happening instead of like the quality of the conversations itself. Uh, and uh, every time that I talk to like SDR teams every single day, like I'm hearing from their, their like their word of mouth is that, uh, you know, like I would love to kind of personalize my outreach. I would really love to kind of focus on specific accounts, build relationships with them. But again, I have 100 cold calls that I need to do per day or cold emails that I need to send. So like I don't have time for that. Like I need to my manager is just looking at the number of uh, outputs that I'm uh, doing every single day. So I do think there is a more shift that needs to happen in managers and leadership's mind rather than the SDRs. Because SDRs are educated. They know more in most cases than the managers itself. So like there is this gap that we need to overcome. Um, and uh, I get that it's scary specifically because when you're an SDR, SDR manager and you kind of need to let your SDRs run the show, uh, I mean, you're kind of losing some of that control, but I would say that this is uh, what we need to do when we need to kind of, uh, obviously we need to enable them with a process, with coaching, with training and everything else they should have, but they should have the freedom to use their minds and their creativity and everything that makes them a good SDR instead of like bots that can actually do everything if they're not using their creativity automatically. Yeah. I, I, let me just say, I, I think SDR is a bad thing to have within an organization and, and and the reason that i think it is is that increasingly sales are based on relationship and you know often it, it's a it's a really good idea to think about sales by analogy with dating you know i i, I have to be in the same room as you i have to approach you in such a way that doesn't immediately scare you away 
Because if I walk up to you and I say, hi, I'd like to buy you a drink, please, and can we get married? You know, it's like the person disappears because it's terrifying as that as an option. Even though we may end up married, it's not the point. The point is it's not appropriate to say that at the beginning. Um, but equally, you know, to send Alex into the bar to do my dating development representative work, where he goes up to lots of girls and he says to them, hi, uh, I'd like to buy you a drink, please. And when they express some interest, he says, hold on a second. It's not actually me you need to talk to. It's Adam. Let me go and get him. Mm. You know, it's like it, 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 it's a parody of the way things happen. You know, every time we speak to a sales leader or a sales frontline salesperson and we say to them, who's better at selling you or the SDR? And they say, well, I am, of course. Why are you? Because I've been doing it for 20 years. I'm credible. I'm an expert in this field. Right. So why are you putting the SDRs in front of prospects? And the first interaction they have is with somebody whose job is to move someone along and then hand them off. You're maximizing the chance of breakage. If mm -hmm. you went and had the conversation with somebody, is it more likely to turn into business? Yes. Okay, well, then you need to find a way of being able to scale yourself so you can do that because that's how you're going to tackle this problem. So, um, okay. So if, but if we're getting rid of SDRs and I mean, how do you sort of extrapolating what you're saying, you'd have to hire a dozen sales, a sales directors, yep. which would be very expensive, but let's ignore the expense side. Um, how do those very people get to that point in the future? I mean, I mean, it's okay today, we can hire all those sales guys, but, but at some point they've got to build that 20 years of experience. So how are they going oh, to get not, that? Yeah, so, so not everybody is going to be a 20 year experienced person that costs 100,000 a year. You know, some people are going to be starting out and those are going to the companies that can't afford to spend 100,000 a year. Yeah. But in, in, in the analogy that we had with, you know, not just post where, uh, you know, 100 people like the post of me on the, the balcony overlooking the Riviera, half of them are people that I want to target. I send a message to all half of them saying, do you fancy having a chat? Five of them step forward and say, yes, those are the five that I'm focusing on. So that's generated five new business calls for me today. If I do that every day, that's 25 new business calls a week. If my strike rate is, as it would be with any decent sales rep, you know, maybe one in five, that means that every single day I'm going to be getting a proposal out of the door. And if I close one in five of those proposals, it means that every month I'm going to be closing a piece of business with an average deal value of 250,000 euros or whatever it is. That's 3 million euros a year. Now, I mean, obviously those are rather simplistic figures, but the, the, the point is to say, how can I take you, you know, you, Riaz, as the, the leader of your business, you are the most attractive thing that the business has. You're the most knowledgeable the most uh, uh, expert, uh, the best able to articulate what it is that your product or service is. So we need to find a way of scaling you out into the marketplace to maximize the success. That doesn't mean you need to close the business, but it does mean that when you strike up a conversation with someone and they say, actually, I will talk to you because you're the leader and you know what you're talking about, which is much more attractive than me, the SDR, trying to approach somebody, and you say, when they say, this is really interesting, what do we need to do next? And you say, actually, I need to pass you to Alex. He's the expert at this, not me. I just founded the company. Then Alex closes the sale. But what we've got is too much ego going on. Not with you, but, but you know, often that's the case. With too much ego going on and too much of a lack of pragmatism about how sales actually work now. So it's like cold calling. Yeah, it's great. Of course, a telephone call is much better than a messaging exchange. But the problem is you don't want to talk to me because you don't know who I am. And if we don't tackle that pragmatism and say, how are we going to get to the situation where your skills and your value can be best deployed at whatever level you're at, then it's always going to be broken. OK, I'm going to pause there for very mm. a few seconds because I'm going to then come back to Alex and Nadia to come back on that topic, because I think. A whole bunch of stuff in there. Yes, um, sorry. I suspect it's worth talking about. Um, what I'm going to do is I am going to share um, my screen just so um, um, people who haven't yet filled out the survey can fill out the survey. And I learned my lesson from the last LinkedIn Live for those of you um, who um, saw that. Um, I have found the play button so that um, it will actually work. 
Um, and so I can already see seven people have completed the um, survey. So this will be live um, for the next um, eight or nine minutes. Um, so do I mean, either scan the QR code or you'll find the link in the comments. Um, obviously, every single one of you who completes it, um, we will donate a breakfast to a child so that they can go to school um, and concentrate um, without being hungry. Um, so thank you for that in advance. Let's go back to the conversation then um, in terms of um, changing the way basically sales teams are structured, as was, was what Adam was sort of saying, almost turning on his head. Alex, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think Adam was saying SDRs are dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I disagree because um, the... Uh, the, the most challenging thing, and I, and I go back to my time as a sales rep, the most challenging thing for me was uh, being able to manage my time effectively in deal management and prospecting. Yeah. And so, you know, I was always a sales rep that would do prospecting whether or not I had an SDR or not working by my side. Yeah. And so, um, if with the right and back to Najee's point, right, with the right skills and the right training, uh, and when I say training, I mean ongoing coaching from me as a rep to my SDR. Yeah, they they could play a very uh, important role in ensuring that we together were approaching that account uh, on on multiple levels. Um. You know whether it's seniority or, or based on any other any other variable, mm -hmm. and, and that was incredibly helpful. Um, it, it also it also meant that you know we were more likely, you know, as I now think about this from a sales leadership perspective, we were more likely to grow those SDRs into sales reps. They felt very included. Uh, uh, and looked forward to, you know, climbing climbing the ladder, as it were, and were more successful as a result of that ongoing coaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The more, I mean, that's that's very much the the traditional way, isn't it? Yeah, but you know, that said, I do entirely agree with Adam on his point about having the most senior people in the business proactively prospecting. Yeah. get involved yeah it's lever leveraging their visibility right and, and yeah. that's um, yeah. yeah Nadia yeah I'm on uh, I'm with Alex on this one sorry Adam uh I agree obviously with Adam on the topic of uh, uh having leaders being proactive in their prospecting efforts leveraging their uh, network leveraging their uh, activities as well and not just leaving it uh, out to the SDRs but uh, in my perspective uh, sales leader at least like you're successful once you make yourself redundant and your SDRs are able to take over from you and do the work that maybe not at the level that you, you would be able to do it, but at least giving them a shot to, be, to come close. And what, like a few years back, I was the one that was sending out my first cold email and if I, if I wasn't given a chance to actually send that cold email instead of my uh, VP of sales back in the day, I wouldn't gotten here in this position. So I think uh, giving a chance to the SDRs to fail, if nothing else, like, of course, you might lose a client, but again, like you need to give a shot to the SDRs to actually test out, fail, start again, etc. And your job really is to make yourself redundant in a way that you're transpassing all of these skills that you're owning uh, to them and not keeping it just for yourself because one day you will leave the company and then what happens like your job is to kind of leave the company in good hands uh, with good SDRs and actually help those SDRs become leaders one day they would like to become leaders or like best SDRs that uh, the company can have yeah actually really interesting you alluded to something there which I think um, really for me almost takes us full circle back to pre the internet days in sales right so so um before the world of crm sales guys used to be um all about their black book right the 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 list of names that they had that they knew that they had relationships with and used to hire the best sales people who had the best black books 
And then, of course, CRM came about and, and companies would want to make sure that that black book was translated into the CRM system so that it was transferable to the next new sales guy. And, and I think what's really interesting is today, if you had an SDR who on paper were the same, but one had a much better personal brand, you are going to pick one with the personal brand over the other. There's a, there's a massive amount of value um, in that today. Um, and of course, it, it leads to the question, who owns that account and the followers that are associated with that account? Is it the company? Is it the individual? What's your take? Nadia, what's your take given... given uh, I would say that uh, it depends, like, obviously on the company and the process itself, but uh, at Lemus, at least, like, we're focused at the end goal, which is, like, to have a client sign for the company. Uh, we don't really care if it was from, like, myself or from the SDRs. Obviously, the person that was owning the entire conversation, like, and was most involved in the process was, were, was is going to be the one that is owning the, uh, the client itself. Um, and sorry to go back, uh, Riaz, right now, but uh, uh, Adam actually had a good question about how do we bring in um, those thought leaders within the companies and people with strong brand into the process itself if the SDRs are doing outbound. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we are actually doing at Lemlist currently is that part of our sequences for the SDRs uh, is that we would automatically actually add um, myself and our CEO, Guillaume, as a steps to automate and uh, connect with them on LinkedIn. So even though Yelly, for example, my SDR was the one reaching out to prospects, as a part of the sequence, Guillaume, our CEO, and myself are going to automatically connect with those prospects as well. That way they will be um, presented to our content that we're publishing daily on LinkedIn. So in that sense, they might come to us and they most times they actually do come to me, but again, I'm not doing anything on my side to reach out to them. I'm just being there, connecting with them, and they're being exposed to the content itself. Yeah. So I think having this brand is actually helpful and just getting them to, to see it and see the content we're posting is uh, one of the ways that we can go about it. Yeah, we've got literally two minutes before uh, suddenly we lose visibility of um, the chat. So, um, Alex, do you have a, a take and then maybe a very quick take and then Adam as well? Yeah, um, I guess um, if I could share a take or a summary of, of the session, what I'm taking away from it. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you know, I think... Uh, I think we all agree time, times have changed and we've got to do we've got to do things differently in order to build pipeline. Um, a relationship first approach is the way to go, even if it's going to take longer to develop, uh, even if it's going to take a while to develop relationships. Um, and, you know, I really like the fact that, you know, one thing I'm taking away is 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 how to better incentivize uh, sales teams, sales people in order to drive that relationship first approach. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, what's your takeaways from the session today? Um, I, th I think it's it's interesting that we're all coming at it from from a slightly different perspective and obviously everybody has their own gong that they're beating here uh i, I think that the the one thing that i would urge everybody to do is to be really pragmatic about results you know so often we see people's decisions and their belief system clouded by what they hope is happening well we're going to publish some content it'll create a bit of noise in the marketplace so people will recognize our brand no they won't Show me any evidence that supports that as being true, and then it, you can say it. So absolutely, this is about saying, what are you trying to do? You're trying to generate sales? Okay, have you got a pipeline? No? Well, what you're doing isn't working then. Don't, everything else is, is debatable, but the truth of the matter is, what you are doing doesn't work. So doing more of it is probably not going to work. And I think that, that often we get stuck in this cognitive dissonance of saying, it's always been done that way, or that's what we do, or uh, I'm hoping that this is going to be the case. So, yeah, pragmatism. It's all about proof, for, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that makes sense. Nadia, what's your takeaways from today's session? 
My takeaway would be uh, innovation in terms of uh, both for SDRs and leaders. Like as, as Adam mentioned, right now we're coming from all, all of us are coming with different angles, different perspectives. Uh, truth is nobody in the world currently knows what is the best way to approach sales. Like it's evolving every single day. Uh, so if you're stuck on the ways that were like working 10 years ago, you're already so, so late because even what worked yesterday is not even working today. Um, and being agile enough, uh, specifically if you're a leader of the sales team, agile and uh, allowing your SDRs to experiment on their own and being open to hear different perspectives, I think is the um, is the takeaway from from today's uh, chat that we've had. Yeah, I think it's a good summary. Um, and it's a common theme across all three of you, really, is that that change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, we are on the hour, so thank you all very much. Um, thank you to thank the audience you. for all the comments that's been flying through. Um, yeah, with that, goodbye, and hopefully see you for the next um, session in about a month's time. Yeah. Look out for the posts on the channel. Thanks, thanks, thanks everybody. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Bye.